Welcome to Creature Crunch. This is the podcast where we take a creature, crunch it into a uh, high-level stat block, and then make your level one players jump further into the campaign in the future to fight it. My name is Matt. And I'm terrifyingly ripped. And we have a guest today. We are welcoming our good friend Mike. Greetings, world. What? <laughs> you said that while petting the dog and you laugh like you were a Bond, Bond villain. villain. Yeah. Yeah. But he's so much bigger than that type of animal would be. Well, yeah. <laughs> much more intimidating. Oh, yeah. Emmett's intimidating. No, Mike is, though. Oh, okay. Mike, Mike is the intimidating one. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't intimidated by the cat in the, in the Bond <laughs> villain. Let's just put it that way. But So, um, so we're covering um, a movie that quickly became dear and near to my heart <laughs> this is the tomorrow war um available on amazon prime and uh chris i'm sorry i i freaking adore this movie this, I hated this. this movie this sucked <laughs> i love this movie this for sucked all a the butt wrong reasons. <laughs> mike what do you think what do you think of the movie uh visually it's very interesting there are a lot of cool visuals in this movie uh Plot is shaky at best. <laughs> shaky is a good term, I think. Yeah. Um, I would say earthquakey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I love sci-fi, so there's there's always a certain amount that I can just kind of, you know, th- throw that out the window. Like it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. I'll 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 track with that for a little bit, but you know, not so much. Right. Not so much this time. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> there there were some issues with this movie and and there's reasons why some of the decisions that were made were made and we'll get into that mm. um there are but then again there's also no discernible reason for some of the other decisions <laughs> yeah but like like i said if you go into this movie in my opinion if you go into this movie with that same mindset of like the same mindset you have to have going into jupiter ascending you, you might have a better time with this movie. It's not mm. quite as good as Jupiter Ascending no. in that regard, no. But to me, it, it, it's on that same, like, it's in that same vein. Yeah. Jupiter Ascending is at least quotable in a lot of ways. That's and, fair. No, that's fair. That's and fair. this is not. No, this isn't. This isn't. But this one is just, I, I just love the the ludicrous nature and, and writing of this one. And like Mike said, the visuals are pretty good. Like, honestly, the... Uh, the CGI and the mm-hmm. action sequences are pretty decent. The monsters yep. look really cool. Yeah, I do yeah. like the monster design. Yep. So, um, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a little bit. Um, so just know that yeah, this is not a this is not a movie for a, a thinking audience. <laughs> no, go in as a blank slate and never return. <laughs> it's not what you'd call for them intellectual types. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was directed by Chris McKay. Who has directed some pretty good stuff, including the more recent Renfield. Okay, well, I've um, heard good things about that. Yep. And the I Lego movie. I have seen movie. that. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. I, I really want to. Yeah. But he also did the, the Lego movie. He's done Robot Chicken stuff. Mm. So, mm. Okay. And, and honestly, when you when you think about that, like the movie's direction, mm-hmm. not terrible. The actors, like, the acting is fine. Yeah. The, the cinematography mm-hmm. and everything about the movie is fine other than the script. And the script was written by Zach Dean, so I'm pretty sure he's the one to blame. Okay. Has he done anything else? Or... Um, I, I didn't make a note of it. It's okay. been like two weeks since I notated that. Let's take a look at his... Yeah, I was going to say, it's been a good three weeks since I watched this movie, and I usually try and watch it the day before we record, so... <laughs> uh-huh. 
Um, let's uh, take a look. I'm just going to pull that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if memory serves, he doesn't have a huge, like, number of things. Yeah, he's got, like, four okay. previous write, er, four writing, writing credits. credits. Fast X, 24 Hours to Live, and Deadfall, including the Tomorrow War. I've heard of one of those. Exactly. So... I've 24 Hours to Live is uh, Ethan Hawke. Uh, I think it's also worth noting that according on IMDb anyway, the, of those four, Tomorrow War has the highest rating. Oh dear. So yeah, Zach, Zachy Dean I think is the one to blame for the uh, for this okay. on this one. Um, but uh, it was originally set to be uh, to have a theatrical release, a wide theatrical release mm-hmm. from Paramount, but of course. Uh, it was, and it ended up being sold to Amazon for two hundred million instead, due to everybody's favorite global pandemic. That's probably for the best because I can't see this thing doing well in theaters. Yeah, it, well, it did do very, very well on on Amazon. Right um, when it launched, it was the most viewed movie on Amazon at the time. Like it was, it to, was huge, and it it made a killing. Yeah. Well, to be fair. There wasn't a lot else happening yeah. at the time that came out. Fair. I remember yeah. I remember because I watched it the same week it came out. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of other options on there unless you were catching up on like series that yeah. Amazon had. Fair. Yeah, twenty twenty so did they, strange things to us all. They ha- they had an open door for that one. That's that is absolutely fair. Um but I mean it did make a killing. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, as far as I don't think it would have gotten a lot of butts in seats, uh, just based off of the premise and the nature of it being sci-fi and everything about that. Like, I don't think it would have, um, but it definitely feels like a theatrical movie. Like when you watch it, it's it's definitely a popcorn like day after tomorrow kind of style. Shut your brain off, watch this mm-hmm. stupid flick. Yeah. Um, but uh, but let's let's get into the let's go ahead and get into this movie. What do you say? Whatever, man. <laughs> okay, so we open with our protagonist, Dan Forrester, played by Chris Pratt, falling into a like a big swimming pool on top of a skyscraper. And um, I don't know about you two, but I personally have complicated feelings about Chris Pratt. I think as an actor, he's fine when he's kept in his little box, which is like the uh, snarky, like kind of dumb guy. But whenever the Star Lord, ha- yeah, exactly. And whenever he has to act outside of that box. He's in trouble. Chris Pratt, though, to me, is he's an actor that I, honestly, I want to like him. Yeah. But he makes it too hard not, he, yeah. he makes it too hard. I cannot like this man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he killed a cat. <laughs> okay, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, his, one of his girlfriend's cats got super old, so he just kind of killed it. Because <laughs> he didn't want to take care of it anymore. <laughs> See, Pratty boy. Yeah. Pratt man, come on. I don't like you. I want to like you. I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but then we cut to 28 years earlier than that. Yeah. So earlier than falling into a swimming pool. Um, and Dan is on the phone with some interviewers trying to get a better job, explaining that he is ex-military and has found a passion working in the Army Research Lab and is now working as a high school biology teacher. And this is where, like, my suspension of disbelief in this movie is immediately shattered. <laughs> Because, like like I said, Chris Pratt is fine as long as you keep him in his box. Having him play, like, a science guy is so far outside of his box because he's way too much of a meathead. I, I would believe that he could be, like, a high school science teacher. Maybe. I, I don't I, know. I believe that. Like, if he was teaching, like, 
freshman intro stuff and maybe a sophomore biology class or something like that. That's not super complicated kind of stuff. Yeah. The lab work, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> the lab work, I would agree with you. Because honestly, if you remember high school, I know plenty yeah. of me okay. head coaches who taught things. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. He can fit right into that, but... <laughs> Him putting on a lab coat and some protective eyewear yeah. to, to, you know, do a science. Something. Which, yeah. which we do see him do some science in this movie. Uh, lab coat definitely doesn't happen. No. And he doesn't don that appearance. So, nope. although I would, I would have much more enjoyed it if he did. Because having <laughs> that lab coat on, like Chris said, meathead. Yeah. Like, uh, you would have been cackling. It would have been, it would have been a nice cherry on top of this movie. Yeah. Also, is it just me or did they desperately want Tom Cruise for this role? They, <laughs> like, I didn't see any uh, casting information like as far as who they wanted. Well, but... they, they just they have his hair styled like Tom Cruise uh-huh. and they have him acting at his Tom Cruisiest. Okay, so I I, I wouldn't you... believe Tom Cruise as a scientist either. But no. well, there I think that well, honestly I wouldn't believe him as a Scientologist. Ho ho. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Zingo. <laughs> anyway, um there might actually be something to that. I don't know if mm-hmm. they necessarily wanted Tom Cruise, but do consider that this movie came out a number of times after the, um, oh God, what was that one with Tom Cruise? With Live, Die, Repeat. That one. Yeah. The Live, Die, oh, Repeat movie. Yeah. That, that's not the title of it, though. What was the That's one of the titles of it. Okay. It's um, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge yeah. of Tomorrow, yes. Yeah. yes. It, it, it was released under both titles. Okay. And mm-hmm. the, the manga it's based off is titled All You Need Is Kill. So... Uh-huh. <laughs> I can see why they didn't go yeah. to that, but yeah. but I this came out a number of years after that, and it, like the two movies, at least on paper, are pretty similar. Um, well, they're a, both a, like a similar concept, future, kind yeah. of time yeah. travel aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so my guess is they were like that movie did well, and it was pretty good because it's a decent flick. It's, it, it's it fun. Is. Yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. Let's make Chris Pratt that man. Yeah, <laughs> let's make Chris Pratt a Tom Cruise. Yeah. So you're probably not far from the mark there. Yeah. <laughs> if they didn't directly want Tom Cruise, then they were definitely had that in mind when going into this. Yeah. But we want a Tom Cruise, but we have a Chris Pratt. Hmm. <laughs> what do we well, do? I think it's also worth noting that Chris Pratt is an executive producer in this movie. Ah. So keep that in mind as well. <laughs> we want a Tom Cruise, but we have a me. <laughs> hmm. I'm Tom Cruise. <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> Um, so Dan arrives home where there is a Christmas slash World Series party going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we establish that he has a close relationship with his daughter, Mary, played by Ryan Kira Armstrong, but a very strained relationship with his dad, who yeah. we don't see right now. Uh, he, he ends up not getting this job. He's, I was going to say auditioning. Yeah, he's auditioning for. He takes the bad news about as well as I take disappointment. <laughs> like, let's be honest, I don't, I don't handle disappointment well. So when he's like slamming his notebook on the, yeah, and then the he garbage can, the trash and then, can, and then he yeah, was, kicks it. Like I, he was, he was, he was a big mope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Um, really, <laughs> really. <laughs> you, 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 I know you guys have known me for a long time, and it probably hasn't come up much, <laughs> but I've had my moments. <laughs> Um, Mary is a uh, typical heartwarming Hollywood child who aspires to follow in her father's footsteps and be a great scientist. Uh, Dan offers her the advice that in order to be the best, you have to be the, uh, you have to have the mindset of, I will do what nobody else is willing to do. (laughs) Which is advice in a way, I guess. 
It is advice. Yeah. Seems like a little dangerous advice. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. yeah. Espe especially to a young child. Yeah. I'm going to tell this five-year-old to just do whatever. <laughs> yeah. Do do what you know you only you are willing to do. Yeah. Please, please don't do that, young girl. <laughs> little, right. little, little nine-year-old girl. <laughs> Um, so they're watching the World Series, and suddenly a portal opens up in the middle of the game and deposits a bunch of armed soldiers. I, I actually kind of liked this part because this is such a weird-ass scene that it's just extremely jarring and just like, whoa, okay, that's something that's happening right now. <laughs> yeah, no, no secrets. Here it is. Yeah, yeah. Just dropped in your lap. A, uh, a woman who we later learn is Lieutenant Hart, played by Jasmine Matthews tells the world that they are from 30 years in the future and that they are fighting a losing war against aliens. She warns that in 11 months, the aliens will show up and will kill most of humanity unless the present generation helps. Upon watching the rest of this movie and then going back to this, I think, I don't know if I wrote this down wrong or what, but uh, this is definitely wrong. The aliens don't show up in 11 months. They show right. up in 28 years. Right. Um, so I'm wondering if, like, she is predicting that in 11 months from future time... I think that's gone? what they're talking about, is, like, 11 months from her date in the future, the you aliens met, yeah. will kill everyone. It's, like, they have, we 11, have 11 months, months to live. You have 28 years. And 11 months. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know why that... I don't know how they got a, an 11-month projection on that, but... They should have just said in less than a year, and it would right, have been... Right, Yeah. Um, so, of course, this means that they came back, uh, back in time as a warning and are going to attempt to change the past in order to save the future. Uh, these people, uh, these future people will arm the masses with knowledge and weapons so that this invasion fails before it even gets started. Yeah, oh, not... wait, no. Uh, <laughs> they, want, they want the past to come to the future and fight the losing war. My bad, my bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's what we all thought when the line first came, and then they yeah. tell us what their plan is, and it's like, oh, you're just murdering people. Cool! <laughs> I guess they get to see the apocalyptic future. Yay, yeah. good for them. Um, so yeah, what, <laughs> and, and as soon as that hits, that's for me... When I know what I'm getting into in this movie, yeah. and I know I'm going to have a good time because my mind immediately just kind of shuts off, and I'm yeah, like, it's like, I don't care anymore. Yeah, like, Let's yeah. see where oh, this goes. The plot doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> the plot, the motivations, nothing matters. This is going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fun and stupid. Yeah, uh -huh. it's just so dumb. <laughs> like it's it's not even it's not e it's not even remotely a good idea. Like, nope. No, like I can <laughs> tell this to to my, like my eight year old nephew. And say, but we're going to take him back to where that is and, you know, so forth and so on. He'd probably just look at me and say, why? <laughs> I honestly thought there was going to be some kind of twist where the people who came back were working for the aliens to send people to the future to feed to the aliens or yeah, something. Yeah, I thought there was going to be another, another, yeah, another layer or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no, it's just dumb. No, it's, it's just dumb. It is just dumb. Um, so... One year later, we could, we have a, immediately a one year later. Yeah, a series of newscasts explains that today's military is being sent twenty eight years into the future in order to fight the aliens, and they are known as white spikes. So we got our we got our alien name mm -hmm. drop. Um, this went very poorly, and after only seven days, only a handful of the presumed thousands returned alive. Thousands seems a little low to me for an entire military, but that's yeah. just me, I guess. Especially well, considering it's like a worldwide yeah, military. Yeah, it was like it's uh -huh. a worldwide military. If 
Unless they were just referring to the U.S. military, because that's where we were at. That might make sense, they, because that, the standing military is not that big as far as manpower. Yeah, they that, that might be the case. But, um, you know, but, I mean, well, you get a lot. Of, no, it doesn't. You get a lot of, uh, there's a lot of information drop here, too, uh -huh. and it's easy to kind of get the order of events muddled. Um, but, yeah, seven days, most military gone. So, with only half of the active military determined even fit to jump to the future, uh, the world leaders banded together to institute a worldwide draft. Because that's a good idea. Yeah. The let's... military failed. Let's send un uh, untrained civilians instead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, this is still not working, to nobody's surprise, um, as only 20% of draftees survive, survive the f and the future human population is estimated to be under half a million. And with a drafty survival rate of less than 20%, many people are asking, is it worth it? No. <laughs> no, you thought, you, you didn't think about this the correct way. Easy answer. Yeah. yeah. You did a dumb. <laughs> are you saying sending our elderly to the future to die in a hopeless war isn't worth it? No. Hmm. So uh, we cut then. Dan is trying to teach his class. But the students don't seem to be getting really into it. Uh, one kid named Martin, played by Seth Chanel, wants to talk about ancient volcanoes. Volcanoes are nature's fury, guys. I like this kid. <laughs> I actually like this the kid. The fact that he becomes important in the third act is just insane. insane. It is insane. But the enthusiasm this kid shows for science and how much... Vulcanology. Yeah, for vulcanology. It's like, I don't care... This kid is cool. I like him. Yeah. He needs to go hang out in Tremors. <laughs> yes, he does. Mm -hmm. I was thinking mm -hmm. the same thing. Um, the rest of the class is pretty bummed because their future seems pretty bleak. Yeah. Um, like, this... <laughs> if you don't get it right at this point, you, <laughs> you probably will never get it, even though they hammer it in really hard. This movie's about global warming, guys. I hope you knew that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this movie's about global warming. <laughs> to be fair, though... That's a fairly good like. That is how these kids should react, I think, or how they probably yeah. would react in this, given the situation. It's like our our previous generation are making some insane decisions to do to, <laughs> to go into the future to fight a losing war, and they're doing nothing about what's happening now, so that we now we are going to be in that position. Well, except <laughs> the problem is, it's not the previous generation making those decisions. It's Isn't the it? next generation doing it. <laughs> so it's your kids who are doing global warming on us. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in many cases, it's them, too. Like, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's true. Um, so the whole, like... <laughs> The entire, like, premise of the movie collapses like a wet cake. <laughs> no. If it would have been something like the governments of the world have refused the uh, assistance of the future people and are instead sending our militaries to the future and then it'd be like, okay, yes, they're sacrificing the current population to do nothing. And right. the next generation is going to suffer because of it. Then it would, it would apply. But no, it's the future generation coming and saying, yes, kill it. Go go kill yourselves, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> well, it's it's more the future generation coming in and saying, "Hey, guys, your parents are all fuckers. Let's send them back. Let's bring them right. up to us. We need to bring them back to our time and make them die from this global thing." That right? Yeah. <laughs> Dan tries to motivate them by telling them that science is the key, uh, but he's interrupted because he gets getting drafted. <laughs> Oopsie poopsie. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. And the next scene is a wild one and needs to be broken down a bit. 
So bear with me on this. The future people collect a bunch of government documents from Dan, uh, including passport and ID. He asks, uh, he's asked if he has any children and if he has Murray's birth certificate, since there's a million dollar payout to his dependents should he die. If this many people are dying, how are they affording this? Are they just passing around the same million bucks? Same way they're I, keeping the government running today. Oh, okay. They're just printing money. I was okay. going to say, like, <laughs> they're just handing them a big ticket saying, this yeah. is IOU. Yeah, they, <laughs> IOU, one million buckaroonies. <laughs> they, they don't give a shit. Yeah. One um, million future bucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they strap him into a chair, shirtless, and stick his arm in a machine, only while answering enough of his questions to keep him stressed out and on edge. Right, yeah, this is... <laughs> <laughs> they they then tell him that he meets the requirements for conscription since he will die in seven years anyway. <laughs> yeah. Here's some fun information for you. Yeah. But they won't tell him how. Yep. Okay, like, one, I don't understand how, like, time travel works in this. Is the future a set path? Like, are the reason they're sending him and they're so intent on sending him is because he will die within seven years? Or, because like, if they said... Like, if they send him to the future and he dies there, he won't die within seven years. Like, what? It's, I th I it's, think is it's the not, past immutable or not? It's not fully explained. It, I think the entire idea behind it is that from the time that the war actually starts, mm -hmm. they don't want anybody that would be alive during that initial right, conflict. Right. They just want to avoid some kind of paradox thing anyway, but it's... It's all BS because the cake has already collapsed, as you said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's... Someone doesn't understand uh, basic temporal relativity, like, I guess. They don't, I don't... they don't understand basic science fiction time travel rules. Yeah, yeah. You, Which, you to be fair, time travel movies don't get that right a lot of well, times. No. But... It, like, if, if you're going to have a time travel movie, you need to have time travel rules. Uh-huh. Like, even fucking Avengers Endgame did that. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was wet rules, and they... Yeah. Like, don't ball. They don't work under scrutiny, but, like, there are rules for well, the universe yeah, of that it's, movie. It's, right. You need to set up those rules and then follow those rules. Or, it does, yeah. They don't have to be, they don't have to be scientifically accurate. No, no. But the idea is you follow your own rules. You don't make your rules and then break them. Yeah, or just <laughs> don't have rules at all and just yeah, have and a fucking free-for-all yeah. <laughs> time travel party. <laughs> See, that's, and that's the issue, because then you lose your audience and they stop paying attention to what's going on because they're trying yeah they're trying to figure all this crap out yeah yeah and it is yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it's a mess. It, it like i could understand what they're doing if the past is immutable if you cannot change the past mm -hmm. then it's like okay they they can't come back and tell us future knowledge and advance our sciences and stuff like that so we're at a better level when the aliens are on. they can't do that because mm -hmm. it won't work uh -huh. then it's like okay they have to do something fine, whatever, they're doing something, it's dumb, but they're doing it. But, like, the end of this movie definitely suggests that you can change the future mm -hmm. by going to the past. Mm -hmm. So why didn't they just come to the past and change the future so that they're ready for the aliens when they pop out? It's just like... <laughs> yeah. Because um, <laughs> then we wouldn't have a movie. Uh, <laughs> or was, at least we wouldn't have the movie they, they had... They wouldn't have the... Um, <laughs> The movie that they could name the Tomorrow War. Yeah, it would. They, then it would just be prevent the Tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. But then while it is while Dan is at his peak stress levels, they bolt a cuff to his arm and tell him that he, that uh, it is what will take him to the future and it can't be removed until after his tour is over. 
They also tell him that if he attempts to dodge the draft in any way, he will be arrested and they'll send his wife or kid to take his place. <laughs> Presumably ignoring the requirements for conscription. Yeah, come on, send this nine-year-old child. Go. I mean, she, they do say, like, your, your spouse or legal-aged dependent okay. will go in your stead. Yeah. But if that were, like, that's such an empty threat because it's like, you need me to die before this the events of this uh -huh. future happen. What if my wife and spouse, or, like, what if my spouse and, and uh, dependents of legal age don't meet those requirements? Then you got nothing on me. Yeah. It's, you're either sentencing me to death or prison. Prison, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's such an empty threat, and it's hilarious. To me, it's like, to me, it's, it's more like, yeah, you either go... Or we're just gonna pull it, put a bullet in your wife's head. It's, <laughs> it's a big bluff because technically he doesn't know if the if his wife because she hasn't been tested. That's right? true. That's technically yeah. he doesn't know if his wife is is yeah, conscription yeah. material or not. So he could call he could try to call their bluff and it's then they a, strap her into the yeah, machine. And it's like... a really big bluff. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is out of the mouths of some very desperate. And stupid people. <laughs> when they plop that thing on his arm, I thought it was going to be like, uh, you know, if you don't show up for your draft, it's going to blow up. Yeah, or yeah, something. that's what I thought too. <laughs> or inject you with some sort of poison. Or yeah, uh -huh. it'll just kill you right there, and your tour is over, buddy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they leave him with twenty four hours to get his personal affairs in order before he's uh, to report for basic training, and then tell him, and what I feel would be icing on the cake, you're free to go. <laughs> you have twenty four hours get your personal affairs in order and report for basic training. Do you have any questions? You're free to go. Um, Dan's <laughs> wife, um, Emmy, played by Betty Gilpin, is leading a support group of draft survivors? Yeah. T tomorrow War veterans? I, mm -hmm. she, she asks them what they remember about their seven-day service. Um... Everybody in the room looks very shell-shocked, and most have missing limbs and prosthetics. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, this to me is very Starship Troopers. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> like they, they, the only way that they can communicate to, to the audience visually that the war is fucking rough is showing these people who are missing limbs yeah. and shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ex except, like... Starship Troopers is a satire, uh -huh. and it's designed as such. Uh -huh. If this would have been done along the same lines, it would have been pretty great. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, one man shares that he will never forget the clicking. Um, so that's ominous, I guess. Wasn't that that Adam Sandler movie? <laughs> <laughs> the clicking? The one where he gets a remote? <laughs> yeah. From Christopher Walken, no, yeah. no less. So. The, the clickening. The yeah, clicking. yeah. Just watch out. It's He's going to come around that corner. We'll oh, never, a, whoa. I'll never forget click. <laughs> the clickening where Adam Sandler gets a remote that can change the reality and uses it to fight plants. <laughs> with, uh, with Mark Wahlberg. With Marky Mark. Yeah. Um, so then, but Dan shows up and reveals to her that he's been drafted. Uh, Emmy immediately insists that he dodge this undodgeable draft. <laughs> Since only 30% of draftees make it back, which is a different number than yeah, the 20% said, they told us earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, no, the movie tells us two different numbers. <laughs> yeah, it, it went up. Like, we're having, we're having more success Yeah, now. it's actually getting better. It's getting better. <laughs> um... 
And most of the people who make it back are very, very traumatized, as we've just been established. Mm -hmm. uh, she tells him to ask the only person he knows who could help him run from the government in 24 hours. So Dan drives out to a private airfield to meet with his estranged father and notorious government hater, buff J.K. Simmons, a.k.a. James. Disturbingly buff J.K. Simmons. <laughs> now, J.K. Simmons is in this movie simply because um, a, a little bit time before this movie came out, Simmons had that big beard and uh -huh. got really in shape mm -hmm. and posted it online and it went viral. And the, the, the makers of this movie saw that and they called him up and they were like, Hey, hey, JK, can you uh, can you do that again? Can you get ripped and grow out your beard and come and join our movie? And he was just like, yeah, sure, why not? And I, that's I, why he's here. Yeah. I have to say, you have to really work to make me dislike J.K. Simmons in a movie, and this movie pulls it off. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He To me, he's one of the more enjoyable parts of this movie. Oh, he is. I just hate his character. No, it's like, not great, but... <laughs> yeah. Um... Jake, I mean, a bad J.K. Simmons is still a J.K. Simmons. That's true. That's very true. Uh, James whirs his phone over Dan's armband and <laughs> and tells Dan that taking it off should be easy despite being sensor calibrated to his pulse. So I guess if he were to try to get out of the draft by killing himself, they would still arrest him and send his wife. I don't really know. I don't but... think this thing does anything. <laughs> like, this armband just doesn't do anything. Um, I... I also want to know how how this old man who lives alone on an airfield understands this tech. He he says he has a master's in, uh, degree in engineering. Oh. And this airfield Still. is... Still. Th there's another, like, throwaway line, or, like, a, a brief just one line that, that J.K. Simmons delivers that it sounds like he's being employed by a some rich dude to just maintain his planes and mm -hmm. stuff, and that's it. Okay. See, see that's the thing. It's a throwaway line. Yeah. They put in throwaway lines that are actually important, and yep. then you forget them. Yep. <laughs> well, it's because it doesn't matter. I I know. No, all you need to know is that that J.K. Simmons here is super good to at 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 uh, planes. Okay. And trains and automobiles. <laughs> and trains and automobiles in this case is a future time risk yeah, cup yeah. thing. Okay. He's, he's, okay. I don't know how he's an expert. Sure. In this. Why not? I, he, he may be of an amount. To be fair, this is Hollywood. If you have a master's degree in engineering, you know all robotics ever. Yeah. All robotics and mechanics, just period. Yep. So, even tech from the future. 30 years in the future. Um, Dan casually wishes that his father would not drink while working, and James res casually responds that, I wish Stevie Nicks would show up in her birthday suit with a jar of pickles and a bottle of baby oil. Which is weird, because Stevie Nicks just died. <laughs> so that would be gross. It would be gross. But it's... it's I. I laugh at this line myself because yeah. <laughs> it's so absurdist. Yeah. And even Dan's like, what? And he's just like, don't, don't think about it too much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the two men clearly have some issues to work out. Um, we find out that James had left Dan and his wife after never being able to recover from Nam in order to protect them from his violence and anger. Uh, Dan is still pissed off and storms off, resigning to fight in the war. Dan returns home and tells his family that he's going and it'll be okay. He'll be fine. <laughs> the percentages are on the rise. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. It might be as high as 40% by the time he gets there. <laughs> yeah. Um, a montage plays out of the draftees being briefed and trained. And I, I put those two words in quotes. <laughs> they uh, they yeah. get like a 
24-hour boot camp. So yeah. they, they are told that after their seven-day tour, the armbands will automatically send them back from wherever they are as long as they are considered clinically alive. <laughs> so that so then I think back to when we saw the, the support group afterwards uh, yeah. and the guy was missing his left arm, which is the arm they put the armband on. Like, yeah. What if that arm gets cut off? How are those people making it back? <laughs> That sucks. Just gotta better, grab better, that arm. Yeah, you better hold on to your your, your <laughs> arm, man. But um, the uh, we also kind of find out that the movie lied to us because Dan says that he's only going to be gone seven days, and we know that this this seven day or that the tour is seven days. Uh-huh. But they also imply that there's a seven day training period before that. Uh huh. So it's technically fourteen days, Dan, not seven. You're going to be gone two weeks, mm-hmm. but whatever. Somebody didn't proofread the script. Um, and, uh, the, these draftees are shown how to fire a gun and told where to shoot on the enemy, but also told that, well, they will not be undergo, uh, undergoing basic training. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they are just straight up, like they are not handed the gun. They are shown the gun, uh-huh. shown it being shot and that's it. Yeah. And then straight up said, what you think you know about basic training does not apply. You will not march, crawl, or climb. There will be no push-ups, no pull-ups, no obstacle courses. That's why I thought that there was going to be some sort of twist. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're just throwing people into the meat grinder. Well, especially, like, when they, they're lining up to go and, like, one dude's in, like, a helmet and another guy's yeah. wearing, like, a suit jacket. Like, they're and... all hodgepodge and mm-hmm. stuff. Like, and just came from the, the office. Yeah, even one of the characters comments on me. He's like, what the hell are we doing? Like, I'm wearing a suit. <laughs> yeah. So, Okay. I have this note later, but I'll, I'll put it here because uh, it's coming up pretty good. Evidently, there's actually a very good reason why these people aren't trained in the original script. Okay. okay. Uh, in the original script, the draftees were actually being secretly poisoned with the toxin to kill the spikes. so that And that's why they weren't getting training. They were oh. literally being sent to their See, deaths there so you that go. the spikes that's what consumed I, them. That would make sense. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they cut that from the script and apparently decided to leave everything else perfectly intact. Jesus. <laughs> Well, that's a mess. Yeah, <laughs> yes, like that is. would have acted like it still wouldn't have been a good movie, but at least it would have made sense at that point. Uh-huh. Well, it would have had more something. Sense. Yeah, it would have made a little bit more. Sense. Yeah, I guess I guess the original draft of this movie was a lot darker, and uh, the the producers came in and was like, were like, no, we need this to be more family friendly. <laughs> we need this to be reach a wider audience. It cannot uh, be that dark. Well. And C- considering some of the scenes coming up, uh, failure. Yeah, agreed. Failure, producers. <laughs> you were not paying attention. Um, they are then also seemingly given seemingly arbitrary and nonsensical restrictions on what they can and cannot wear. Um, one recruit uh, named Charlie, played by Sam Richardson, points out that one guy is wearing a chef's toque, but laments yeah. that he can't wear shorts. Right, right, yeah. Um... <laughs> And I have to say, like, Charlie, as a character, I really like him at the beginning of the movie, and mm-hmm. I hate him by the end of it. <laughs> like, especially in this first bit where, like, he's he's super nervous and he just keeps rambling uh-huh. and talking really fast and just kind of saying whatever pops in his head. I find that very charming, a little bit relatable, and just, I like him. Mm-hmm. By the end of the movie, I hate him. Because <laughs> they just, then they, like, there's a turning point in the movie they were like, Oh yeah, he's the comic relief, and they completely forget about his actual quirks and just write him as comic relief. Uh huh. Um, the draftees are all given deployment instructions, uh, either with D force or R force. Um, Dan and Charlie are on R force. 
Uh, Charlie is very nervous and gets scolded by a super serious dude behind him. And I actually really like this ramble, like I said, about Dorian looking like a murderer. <laughs> you can braid each other's hair later. All right, stop talking. Listen. Totally. Uh, sorry, I, I mean, when I'm nervous, I talk. And I'm like, on the, on my, on a, on a, on a, I'm like, on the scale of one to 10, I'm like a 90, 97 on the nervous scale. Or maybe a, like a 98. You look like a murderer. No offense. Well, I mean, you do. He will kill you. I know. The I called him a murderer. Turn around, man. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's fun. I like that little bit. Like you said, when Charlie first shows up and when he rambles and when he's mm -hmm. Charlie, I like him. He's funny to me. Um, later, Charlie tells Dan that not only was he was the serious man named Dorian, played by Edwin Hodge, uh, one of the first to be drafted. But that this is also his third tour. So apparently Charlie knows... bringing up those stats. <laughs> yeah, so apparently Charlie knows everything about this man. Yeah. Well... <laughs> but... Um, and Dorian wears the claw of one of the white spikes around his neck. So we see this big, wicked-looking raptor claw that he's got yeah. around his neck. Uh, Charlie also tells Dan that he has a doctorate in Earth and Atmospheric Sciences. So Charlie's a science boy. Um, the two notice that all the draftees appear to be over 40 years old and that all the trainees from the future seem to be pretty young, probably under 30. Uh, they deduce that this is to avoid some sort of paradox, like Mike said a little bit ago. Yeah. Uh, those who time travel cannot exist at the same time as their future or past self. Um, <sighs> this is just speculation that's never confirmed in the movie one way or another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean... And the speculation would be more poignant if they left the original thing in yeah but yeah um the trainers tell our force that they are part of the research division so we learn what the r means yeah i have no idea what the d means defense d force. i was thinking defense but that doesn't seem like that's what they're trying to do with them. dead yeah dead, dead. maybe dead, dead or die dead force. yeah dead force that's yeah. a good point um so research division's role is to assist the future researchers in their studies that's all <laughs> you add your you add your skill set to theirs yeah done we also learn a little about how the time travel works in this universe, which is very linear and unstable, and that the time machine is set at a, like at a fortified location in the ocean somewhere. They call it the jump link. Yeah. Um, but we learn that basically the, the only rule that we are given on this time travel is that uh, since time is linear, it flows in one direction. They, they, they use the analogy of a, of a river. Mm -hmm. um, with two rafts at set fixed points, they can only jump between thirty point or thirty year intervals. That's it. So that's why, when seven seven days pass in the future, seven days have also mm -hmm. passed in the present. That is literally the only rule we're given. Uh huh. Yeah. And honestly, thinking about it, it it behaves more like a yo-yo. So I would have used the the analogy <laughs> of it's a thirty year long string. We throw you out here, and then after a certain amount of time. You come back. I had no problem with the analogy myself. I think it's fine but the way they present it in the movie. But it's whatever. Yeah. As <laughs> long as you didn't know do the, the thing where it's like if it's like if you fold a piece of paper in half <laughs> and put a hole through it with a pencil, you, and then you pull it apart and the holes are at equal distance, but you've gone through the other hole. Yeah, they didn't do the paper. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the hot dog paper. Yeah. Yeah. Explanation. But um, but I the way they do it, I think it it gets the point across, and mm -hmm. all you have to know is that that's why they don't travel to any other period of time. Um, the draftees are then told that the white spikes disappear once every six days in what the future people call their Sabbath, their day of rest. 
Uh, yeah. uh, which is why the tour is only seven days. So they basically use the Sabbath as the time to insert new troops and bring out old troops. Yep. Um, we never hear about the Sabbath again. It nope. doesn't ever come up again. This is it. I think they mention it once later on. Well, they mention but... it because it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so the, it doesn't matter. Uh, when asked why there aren't any pictures or videos of the White Spikes, they're told that they're too scary. <laughs> <laughs> and what looking at like IMDb trivia trivia is hilarious because they're like no military would ever send their soldiers into a situation where the soldiers didn't even know what the enemy looked like. Uh-huh. Um the woman who asked whose name is Nora played by Mary Lynn Rashkub. I think I pronounced that name right. Mary Lynn Rashkub uh advises that the next time they <laughs> that that question is asked they should probably just lie. Uh, while preparing for rest, Dan and Charlie begin to bond as Charlie tells Dan that his wife was sent to in one of the first few waves. And by the sounds of it, she, she didn't, didn't make it. Back, <laughs> yep, yeah. uh, Charlie seems to be pretty okay with this, all things considered. <laughs> like, he's a little choked up a bit when talking about her, but... He, man, he... Ever the optimist, that Charlie, I guess. <laughs> Either that, or he puts on a good face and is already checked out. Yeah. yeah. That's probably a little closer to the truth. Right. Uh, the conversation is cut short by a needlessly loud and jarring alarm, and the draftees are scrambled as there is apparently some sort of emergency. When Dan expresses concern that they were supposed to have seven days to train or prepare or whatever, um, the, lead the, the lead trainer, who is Lieutenant Hart, explains that the last research facility they have is under attack, and that if it's lost, then the whole war is lost. So they do have some means of communication with the future. Yeah. Somehow. Yep. It seems like that should be more important than it is. <laughs> Um, and so, with, without virtually any preparation, information, training, briefing, most supplies even, the draftees are sent into live combat. Yeah, and that dude's still wearing his chef's hat. Yep. Um, Charlie demonstrates that he doesn't even know how to load his gun. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Something goes wrong, though, and the draftees are dropped literally hundreds of feet in the air above a skyscraper. Good job, future guys. <laughs> Maybe, no, no wonder the mortality rate's so high. Yeah. Does this happen every time? Right. Well, it's it's off schedule, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, only a couple dozen or so of the hundreds survive, having the good fortune to land in a rooftop swimming pool and following video game logic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, I, like when I was thinking about it, it was just like, okay, well, yeah, the first few people who hit that, that water are going to be splattered. The water might get broken up enough, then the surface of the water <laughs> might get broken enough that the other people might be relatively okay. Surface tension for the killer. People who, except for the people who land in the shallow end. Oh, God! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's only slightly better than hitting the pavement next to it. Yeah. And this scene is brutal. Watching these people oh, God, fall yeah. and land is freaking rough. Um, but the survivors just kind of casually walk up to the ledge. And there's just people like yeah, surrounding that pool. Like, you don't know how many have missed the building entirely and have fallen even further. Uh -huh. and yeah, it's 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 a horror scene, and nobody seems to care about and, it. And the ones who survived are uninjured completely. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You either, well, died on, you either die on impact or you're... Okay. There's one. There was one guy with a broken leg that couldn't go anywhere, so they yeah. left him. 
I mean, that's honestly probably the safest place for him. You know, until oh, yeah, the bombing on top starts. Of the building, yeah. Mm-hmm. Once the bombing starts, that dude's fucked. Yeah, but... I know. It's like, <laughs> hopefully, you survive seven days with that broken leg, then he can just go home. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the survivors casually walk up to the edge of the building while Dorian welcomes them to Miami. Which, based off of the rest of the movie, I'm pretty sure they were in the entire time. Yeah. But, whatever. Uh, Charlie watches them, uh, watches through some binoculars as a bunch of soldiers are struck by something on the street and all pretty much killed instantly. And, uh, his simple, well, could have done without seeing that, makes me laugh every time. (laughs) Dan is contacted by command and finally given their brief. Uh, Miami is being swarmed by white spikes and the military is elected to carpet bomb everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, their mission is to combat search and rescue and get the research team out alive. So their last research t- facility is under attack and there was, their solution is set a time limit and bomb it all. Uh, the team, which consists of now both D and R force. So that was pointless, uh, makes their way into the lab. Uh, there is evidence of a slaughter with spikes sticking out of the walls, debris and broken glass everywhere and, just a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. No bodies, though. Um, and, like, up until this point, I had thought that the aliens, since they did describe them as invading, I thought that they were going to be more humanoid aliens with, like, weapons and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. it described them as invading, so uh-huh. I figured they had to come from somewhere. Yep. And I don't think these fuckers that we end up seeing could possibly do that. <laughs> right. So I figured they had to be somewhat humanoid and intelligent. Nope. Nope. Um, <laughs> Command helpfully tells Dan that the white spikes can smell blood from a mile away, so be careful. Yeah. Which is... Wait, who like, tells him that? Command. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the well, woman... there's some he, useful information. Stuff, right? Useful information that A, they probably could have used ahead of time. Uh-huh. B, doesn't matter a lick, especially considering all the blood smearing everywhere. Mm-hmm. And C, doesn't matter because if they can, there's nothing you can do about... Oh, right, gotcha. I'm going to make sure I don't bleed. <laughs> Yeah, uh-huh. after being dropped like a mile from the sky. <laughs> yeah, good thing none of us cu- like got scuffed on the on the <laughs> right, pool. <laughs> right, it's information you kind of want, but ends up being useless anyway, which is kind of an mo of this movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, um, they eventually find what's left of the research team, kind of strung upside down at the top of a courtyard. It's never explained why. I don't know what the white spikes actually do to these things. Well, it, these people. Like, I think it's command says, oh, that means they're coming back. So I guess they're storing them for food or something. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's not not described. No, nope. yeah. it's never elaborated on. It's just creepy imagery to be creepy imagery. Yeah. yeah. Uh, command then redirects Dan and the others to the labs to recover as much data as they can, including hard drives and biological samples. Uh, she has Dan specifically get all 12 blue ampules from a case filled with other eventually <laughs> non-important, evidently non-important ampules as the bombers are scrambled. Yeah. And he also, the, the ampules, like, I didn't notice this, I didn't catch this until I was reading some of the quote-unquote goofs, but the, the ampules he grabs, number 15 in total, not 12. Nice. You grabbed a couple extra. <laughs> yeah. Um, they have six minutes to evac before the bombs drop. Yeah, this is running on Namek time. <laughs> <laughs> I did check to, to see how long it actually is in uh-huh. in the film, and it's closer to ten. Yeah, 10 yeah. Minutes. it's dynamic oh. time. <laughs> yep. Um, but that is why they waste a lot of time on the stairwell. You've got six minutes to get downstairs and out of the blast area, so they get to the stairwell and just kind of stand there looking up and down for a while. Mm-hmm. 
As they descend, a group of these white spikes arrive at the top of the stairwell behind them. One shoots a spike from a tentacle into a guy, which causes him to comically fly into a wall in a different direction from where the spike was shot at. Uh, and then we finally get our first official look at these things. And let's talk about their, des their yeah, design. Yeah, they, they look pretty cool. I love their design. It's yeah. really good. They've got like six limbs. Mm-hmm. Um, four, four legs and two almost like... Yeah, praying mantis, mantis like claws. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Four for locomotion, two for manipulation. Yep. Um, wicked looking head with... Like a split jaw. A like, split, yeah. All, yeah, that's because all aliens and all... Like all non-humanoid aliens and all horror movies have to have that yeah that is a that's a staple yeah but i mean it, it works just fine like when their jaws closed it kind of looks like a horse skull a little bit yeah, yeah now it, that you mention it, it it's it's meant yeah meant to look like a skull <laughs> um wicked looking teeth mm -hmm. uh they're very very pale white hence mm -hmm. the and and part that's probably where the part of the name comes from i'd imagine so uh -huh. and then they have these two like tentacles coming out very displacer beast like yeah Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of coming out of their back, and those tentacles have little mouth. They got beakies. Yeah, they got little beaks that <laughs> yeah. open up, and that's where they shoot the spikes from. Mm -hmm. Hence, white spike. Um, but no, I I, do, I love the design. I think they're really cool looking monsters. Um, and they were designed by Ken Bartholomew, who also did creature design for Godzilla vs. Mm -hmm. Kong, Godzilla oh. King of the Monsters, Detective Pikachu, yeah. The Predator, Fantastic Beaks, Beasts, Crimes of Grim... Beaks. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald. Um, so he's he's got some no. good creature yeah. design yeah. under his belt. If you've seen like those pictures that were going around like a while ago, even before Detective Pikachu came out, of like realistic Pokemon, yeah. he did those. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense because those those are really really good. Mm -hmm. They're really good. They're unsettling, and they are good. <laughs> yeah, and that he's a great creature designer. Mm -hmm. um, he evidently came up with 67 different concept designs for them, um, being asked to make sure that they could swim and fly. And uh, he took inspiration from the tripods from War of the Worlds and the Sentinels from the Matrix. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You can kind of see those yeah, influences. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that they could. They, then he wanted them to fly, though, because I don't see no wings on these things. Right. So No. Um, Director Chris McKay said that he wanted to see, uh, I actually put the whole quote here. I wanted to see beyond the edges of the frame as far as what happened to them. I wanted nicks, cuts, scratches, cirrhosis. I wanted them to feel hungry at all times. That was very informative to the design. I wanted them to feel like they had an insatiable appetite. I wanted them to have teeth that felt like a dental nightmare. <laughs> and then I wanted them to have a feral intelligence. Mm. And as far as, like you said, the director, I think he did a fantastic mm -hmm. job too. As far as that vision goes, it's communicated very well. These things yeah. move very savagely. They, very animalistically, they yeah. are brutal and ruthless. They have zero fear. They are just, mm -hmm. mm. They, so, they belong in a better movie. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, and then according to uh, the Aliens Wiki, uh, there are a multitude of types, such as commons, bursters, gliders shooters and floaties floaties yep. oh man which all have different abilities do they all have like water wings so they can <laughs> float, float god i hope so yeah. i mean they... <laughs> yes um so i thought that was interesting because i mean we see a lot of these abilities in the monsters but i had no idea there was a distinction between them yeah so 
Any other comments on the design? Nope, they're just neat looking. Mm-hmm. Um, the, these things prove to be very tough and resistant to gunfire as they attack the group and chase them downstairs. Uh, we also see the first demonstration of their strength when they burst through a door, which mm-hmm. is pretty intense. Like, the guy tries to shut the door and boom, it basically explodes in, yeah. throwing him to the ceiling, into the ground, and they are just there. Again, I love how these things move and how brutal they are. Uh, Dan empties two guns into one before switching to a fire axe and driving it through the creature's jaw. Second movie in a row where somebody's used a fire axe as a weapon. <laughs> um, but Dorian slides in and fires his shotgun into the white spike's neck, killing it and telling Dan that it's the only way to kill them is to aim for the necks or bellies. And that was like the only advice they got during training. Too. Yes, I guess Dan just... Did, he should probably should have just paid attention to the gun demonstration, or maybe the <laughs> trainers should have driven that point home a little bit more. Yeah, they they tell aim for the aim for the neck or belly, but they didn't say that that they they, they left out the that's the only way to kill them part. Also, he didn't say that these things are non-humanoid. <laughs> that's true. That would have helped. <laughs> like, like the neck and belly on these things is very different than where it would be on a dude. <laughs> that's, uh-huh. that's true. And the the target practice that they have not, was dudes. It was dudes. <laughs> It was dude cutouts. Um, outside, the white spikes mobilize, and Command tells them that they only have three minutes left before the bombs hit. She also advises them to stay away from areas with red smoke, as the group runs through a red smoke cloud. Which is also a very funny yeah. scene. <laughs> Too late. And the looks on their faces, especially I think it's Charlie, on the mm-hmm. look on his face while they're running through it, is like, Fuck. <laughs> I love yeah. it. It's great. Um, we get a decent action scene as the spikes chase the team and the fighters drop the bombs. Um, most of the characters that we've kind of been semi-introduced to die. Uh, pretty much everybody except for Charlie, Dorian, and Dan. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Um, but, like I said, the, the, the action scene's not bad. I'm not going to detail it in play-by-play, <laughs> play, but it's, it's, it's yeah. a fun action scene. Um, they wake up sometime later on a military base in the Dominican Republic. And Dorian is very upset at Dan for trying to save people because Dorian doesn't think anything matters. And he's only signed up three times because he was diagnosed with cancer and given six months to live. So that's why he's mad that people died and he almost died for something. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a non uh-huh. thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, basically his whole character is that he has cancer and has feels like he has nothing to lose and he wants to die on his terms not laying yeah. in a bed of cancer. Yeah. Yeah. It's like That's his character. Square yeah. Square square character trope, round hole. Uh-huh. It fits. A cylinder. Hmm. A circle. I think that goes in the circle. The square hole. Uh, what if there. like the future people said that they had a cure for his cancer, but they would only give it to him if he if he kept signing up. That's too elaborate like, of a that bluff. would have been something. Uh huh. They have they have to lie in a very terrible way. <laughs> it's the only thing they're capable of. Dan is summoned to command while Dorian and Charlie are reassigned. Bye, Dorian, Charlie. Yeah. Yep. See you at the end of the movie, yep. guys. Dan meets with the woman in charge and learns that she is Colonel Murray Foster, who's played by Yvonne Stravosky. Um, and Yvonne voiced Miranda Lawson in Mass Effect. I oh, thought really? that was interesting. I didn't know that. Yep. Yes, she did. Okay. She's She's got a lot of voice acting okay. and yeah. acting chops. So. She got her big start on Chuck. Mm. 
Uh, she tells Dan that she has a PhD in biotechnology and it, with an emphasis in genomics and immunology, which is why she is also the leader of our force. She created our force to mm -hmm. research these things. To research the force. Mm -hmm. uh, she then gets very nihilistic explaining that the human race is doomed and that she brought Dan here for a reason, but won't tell him that reason for dramatic effect and literally right, no other yeah. reason. <laughs> but she's mostly because she does not want to bond with her, her dad. Yeah. <laughs> she's yeah, mad at him. She, for yeah. She's angry. Yep. And he really wants to bond with her. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but not, but not with the young child that actually needs it with correct. this, with his older lady. That's his age. Yeah. Who's basically a stranger to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so good decisions all around. Everyone. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Well done. Yep. Um, I'll, I'll rant about it later when we get a little, when it becomes a little bit more important. But um, Mary explains that the white spikes they've been fighting are all males and that the rare females, which are larger and more dangerous, tend to stay underground in their hives where the males protect them with their lives. She cites that all they care about is the survival of their species. And, and which, like, when they start talking about this, I thought we were going to have some pretty serious sexual dimorphism with these, and that the females were going to be huge and weird looking and no, they're totally bigger. great. No, they're just slightly they're bigger. They're just a little bigger. Bigger and have red on them. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was disappointed. Yeah, that, that was a missed opportunity. I agree. Yep. They didn't, uh, they didn't want to pay Ken Bartholomew to come up with another 67 creature designs. Right. She then tells him that the toxin kills the males. This is the very first time we have mentioned the toxin. Uh -huh. Other than in the cut script right. that I mentioned. Yeah, in the movie, this is the first time it's brought up. Right. It's just, there's a toxin that's killing the males. And she presents it like we should know this. Uh-huh. Um, it kills the males, but not the females. And she wants to capture a female to find out why and how to fix that. So we finally get the reason why it wasn't... Like, we get the reason why the future war is still being fought in the future. It's all in service of catching this female. Right. Which, in the next very next scene, turns out to be a lot easier than that implies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's not easy. Don't no. get me wrong. Well, but... Yeah, but way easier yeah. than... than Did they just not try? I don't know, doing? man. I have no clue. I guess... Also, I think... like, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. If you kill all the males... <laughs> You also kill the females. Because <laughs> they will eventually die, and without the males, there's not going to be any more. As far as we know. Yeah. We know nothing about I mean, their reproduction. Yeah, maybe, it, you never know, maybe the females are hermaphroditic. We don't know. If there is sexual dimorphism like that, if there's a male and a female like that, they probably can't reproduce asexually. Right. Yeah, You're that, probably right. But yeah. There's a high chance of that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... It's not as critical as they think. They've already solved the problem. <laughs> this movie is done. <laughs> yeah. I love this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, also, um, I'm, I'm no biologist or chemist. But it seems, or volcanologist. Or volcanologist. <laughs> but it seems to me that if they know how to sedate the female, they might also know enough about her biology to figure out how to, you know, poison her. But, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't matter. Um, Murray tells Dan that one day the white spikes were just suddenly there. They first appeared in Russia and spread across the world in three years. There was no evidence of a ship. There was no yeah. evidence of landing. I'm honestly not sure how these people even know they're aliens. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> like, they're weird looking, yeah. and they cross the border <laughs> illegally. 
where's your papers? <laughs> uh, Dan and Murray are brought to the nest where they have a female cornered and closed, uh, female cornered and dosed with tranks. Despite this, she still tears up the team trying to cage her. Murray jumps down into the nest, instructing Dan to stay on the chopper. I, I don't know why that the this person from the past who was brought to be literal fodder in the war is more important than the leader of the research division but he is yeah um dan of course defies orders like a good soldier and jumps in to save her yeah uh with his help they manage to cage the female white spike and airlift her away meanwhile an army of males descends on the nest and attacks and in this sequence, we, we do see that they these white spikes can glide like flying squirrels. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a really good white spike noise that Chris pointed out. The, the, were the ones hit by the jeep? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I think he ate a bad a bad scientist or something because he, he he's gurgling a little bit before he gets nailed. He was gonna he was gonna yak all over the front of that vehicle before he got smacked. <laughs> Um, after the fight, Dan, uh, Dan and Mary chat. Apparently, he abandoned his family before dying in a car accident in, in her past, his yeah. future. Did she ever say what caused this? Like, all what happened? We, all we know is that he, be, like, she implies that he became more distant over the years, and Like, it wife... was a result of his tour, I think. Like, he well, became... Well, I don't know, because in her future, that that never happened. See, never, and yeah, I don't know. Here's another problem with writing time travel. Yeah, crap, guys. I think I think it's supposed to. I think it's supposed to be related to the fact that he got he didn't get that big job at the beginning of the movie, oh, and he really? just feels spiky spiraling. Like I mean, I can kind of see that from a character standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, maybe you you were in a job you don't like, you have higher aspirations, but you can't get them. It can drive you down. Mm-hmm. I get that. I I definitely understand that, and I I think that's supposed to be where this is coming from okay it's not explained so it doesn't it doesn't count yeah i know i i was under the mild impression like like my brain instantly thought that him coming back from the war did something else on top of that and that's why he became distant well see that would have been an interesting way of going about it right so no but that's not the case no i my brain made it better than it was yep i think like you said the way that it's implied in the movie is simply that he became distant he and his wife separated a year later they divorced and then he got in a car wreck sometime after that yep all right that's it and and she hates him for it she is very upset about it yeah yeah um and and a lot of these scenes, like, this is the... the I love this movie because of how stupid it is. The scenes where they try to force me to care about Dan and Mer- future Murray's relationship with each other, I don't care. I, uh-huh. I don't care. And they stretch on far too long. Well, it doesn't even matter. No. Like, he's, he's going to go back. He can fix all that. Why Maybe. are you trying to... Re- <laughs> yeah. It's like, yep. why are you trying to repair a relation, uh, yeah, so, relationship now? So, I was trying to avoid it, but, like... This is a trope that I cannot stand, and and this is probably it may just be a me thing to a degree, but to me in any fiction, when a character learns that they are blood related to somebody, and then they have a strong emotional attachment to that person, to me I I cannot relate <laughs> that even a slight amount. Like 
blood relation matters none. It, it to me, it, it doesn't yeah. matter at all. Mm-hmm. You meet somebody for the first time and you find out you're blood related. Well, that doesn't fucking make you best friends or family the entire time. You still are strangers. You don't know mm-hmm. their personality. You yeah. don't know who they are. Yeah. And in this case, it's the same thing. Because this is adult Murray. This is like 40-year-old Murray mm-hmm. who has had a life without Dan for more than she's had one with him. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. is a complete stranger to her and she is a complete stranger to him. Probably more so. Uh-huh. And yet he acts like they have the strongest bond ever. And they and the movie wants me to care about this bond. And I can't. I just can't. I don't <laughs> give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my god. I don't care about it for very different reasons. <laughs> um, because, just because of the... The formulation of how all this time travel crap works, like yeah. I, I just, I didn't care so much. Right, it, it wasn't important. It didn't. It wasn't going to make a difference for either of them anyway. Mm-hmm. Even if they had repaired their thing, it's like he's going back in seven days. You're dead. You know, yeah. this kind of like it so doesn't matter. Like from an actual personal perspective, where you would meet like a future child or whatever it's like okay yeah you might be a little invested in it but as a viewer no there's no interest Uh uh-huh not even a little bit not even a little you're right like okay i have a seven-year-old daughter yeah and i am i can i can kind of imagine how it would be to meet her 30 years in the future yeah it would be interesting to see and yes there would be an emotional reaction Mm -hmm. not the same emotional reaction the movie wants me to think that there is yeah like i would get very emotional but that would make me long to go back to the past all the more like, yeah, so you don't look, miss Yeah, right. look at this woman that she blossomed into. And, like, in this case, she's a fantastic person. I would want to go back in time and watch my mm-hmm. daughter evolve into and grow into yeah. this person. Participate. But in, in instead, like, no, all of a sudden, this version of Murray is the most important person to Dan. Uh-huh. Like, even above young Murray. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little weird. It's, I, mm, uh, <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> I, yeah, I, at a point or two, I was a little uncomfortable, actually, too. Right? So, yeah. Was right? it going into old boy territory? <laughs> uh, I, I really wish, you know, all all credit to Spike Lee and his writing, it's a fantastic movie, but that is a very uncomfortable movie. Yeah. <laughs> old boy is very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> um, Go away. So, they end up taking the white spike out to Deep Swell 9, which is the... the, the <laughs> Deep Swell... <laughs> Deep Swell 9. Is, is that what it's actually called? That is actually what it's called. Freaking really? Yes. Um, <laughs> it, which is this, like, it, to me it's, it looks kind of like an oil rig that they yeah. modified and expanded upon. Yeah, it, it's like no, no. a couple oil derricks, like, taped together. <laughs> um, with a big wall around it. Right. And this is where the... Uh, the Time machine. The time machine, yeah. the, the jump link is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's based off of the coast of the Bahamas... Uh, and they bring the white spike. I keep, I keep wanting to call her a queen because no. I mean, that's the role she fills, uh-huh. but that's not what she is. Uh, they they bring the female here, researcher. Uh, she apparently has something in her biology that breaks down the toxin that they already have, uh, and they start running. And I quote: "Thousands of tests to find one that'll work. They should be done by morning." Yeah. 
Um, well, if they have them all prepared, all they have to do is shoot her a thousand times. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. Yep. <laughs> One of these will work. Bow, 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 bow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Miri is, tells us that she's using 180 milligrams of morphine every hour to keep her sedated. Instead of hooking her up to an IV to constantly monitor right, and, yeah. and keep her sedated indefinitely. But no, she's administering this much. And it is a lot. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, okay. Um, while working, Dan tries to back to the future the Super Bowl scores. <laughs> a little bit. After all that's happened, that that's the important that's thing. That's the Dan. important yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then conveniently, the next Sabbath is also the next day. Uh, meaning that Dan will turn to his, his original time. So that was a fast week. Yeah. yeah. Did he sleep at all? I mean, he was unconscious during the time. I think oh, he, okay. he slept more than he was awake. Yeah, I think oh, okay. I, the only thing that I can think of is after that first initial fight, he was out for six days. They that woke him up sense. and then sent him to or At least five. Like, yeah, at, at least uh-huh. five, yeah. <laughs> um. Muri finally tells Dan that the plan was to send him back with the tox- the to- the working toxin to end the war before it started. Um, which Dan vows to do this and then return to save F- Muri's timeline as well. That's his plan. That's He's not gonna... a plan. <laughs> well, That's that is a fantasy. <laughs> like the idea is for him to take it into the past so they can mass produce it and be ready for when the white spikes invade uh-huh. like in in the future and then he he says no i'm, I'm also i'm gonna do that but then i'm also gonna come back and and bring some here and we're gonna finish this it, it's gonna take another seven days or at least like uh-huh. how long is it gonna take to mass produce this shit yeah like mass producing is a fun and, word it takes time to do that yeah, yeah. and it's it's <laughs> also in seven days like they're they're in dire straits anyway. In seven they're, days, they're that, dead. That, they're not. That's not happening because they don't have seven their days. Their ta- their times are synced, according uh-huh. to them anyway. Uh huh. Yeah. So, no. And also, what's the point, Dan? Danny boy, what is the absolute fucking point at that? What? Why do that at well, all? I'm sure he'd explain it to you. He's a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> that way, Mary can live by herself in the apocalyptic wasteland. Yep. Um. He's a good dad. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going to insist on taking her back with him. Like, you know, you're coming back with me or something like yeah. that. That would have been made. That would have made sense from a motivational standpoint. Right. Right. Yeah. Especially considering the like motivation. the, what they've tried to build up between Dan and Murray or future Murray, but he doesn't. And is just like, no, I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back again someday. Like frosty, the snowman. <laughs> um, yeah. Just in time for the toxin to be finished. Uh, and the final and the female to wake up because Mary forgot to administer a dose. Um, the white spikes show up and instantly attack the base. Yeah, all of this happens at once. Convenient, very, very convenient. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, I feel like the action sequence is pretty decent as it's the fine. spikes attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very visually entertaining. Yeah. Um, and they, they they attack. They free the female while the humans try to defend the time machine and Dan specifically. I don't know why Dan is the most important person to go back and to the past. Maybe, with maybe this, he's with the only toxin. one. Because here's the thing. When Miri was little, she asked him if he was the best scientist in the world, and he said yes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, that's... that. No, that's what wow. happened in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
And she believed him like a chump. All the way through her, yeah. <laughs> her 40s. Yeah. Dan, you almost destroyed the entire fucking world. Good job, Dan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Miri is, end, ends up getting stabbed by one of the spikes and is going to die. And Dan has a lot of emotion for someone who is basically a complete stranger to him and with his real daughter back at home. Hey, they've known each other for like 24 hours at this point, Matt. Uh -huh. It's true. He even risks his own life to save her. Mm -hmm. I feel nothing at mm -hmm. this. Yeah. This it last cool. bit. It was very cool looking. I didn't care. No, not even a little bit. No emotional investment. Um, but the Dan and the rest of the draftees are dropped back at home. There were actually quite a few survivors. It yeah. Seems. What the hell? Where were they? I don't know. Charlie hid, according to Charlie. Yeah. He lived. Um, Good plan. I mean, yep, it worked. Yep. Uh, the jump link went offline, and no more time travel is allowed. It can't happen anymore. Um, this might pose a problem for all the future people who are now stranded in the past and right. cause issues in regards to those paradoxes that they were all con so concerned about. Yeah. Uh, but this is not as not addressed, so I guess it won't be an issue. Yeah. Do they have to kill themselves before they're born? Maybe. That's pretty fucking grim. I want yeah. that story. That's a damn. <laughs> um, Dan sees that uh, Charlie also survived, like I mentioned. And uh, Charlie looks fucking traumatized as he tells Dan that he just hid. Um, back at home, Dan tells Emmy about what had happened. And it seems that instead of l letting literally anybody else help with this whole toxin thing, Dan is elected to shoulder the responsibility on his own. Yep. And he and Emmy immediately start planning. He's going to do yep. a one-man mass production yeah. mm -hmm. factory. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Army of one with the only vile yeah. of the solution. Yep. Um, yeah. Army so, of one big-headed guy. So Dan and Emmy uh, begin pooling the knowledge that they have of these things. All they know is that the spikes showed up in northern Russia in, 2020, uh, in 2048 with no evidence of a ship or a rocket or anything. Uh, Emmy is literally the only human being in both present and future to realize that maybe the spikes showed up sometime before that date. Uh, Dan then meets with Dorian at a bar, and together they take Dorian's white spike claw to Charlie, and the three of them become the very first humans in, uh, in both the present and future to examine the claw under a microscope. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> what? Because they, uh, they have the luck, um, they also luck out that this particular claw came from one of the first spikes, and not one of the billions of the offspring. They also discover that there's volcanic ash on the claw that originated in China. Um... They then go to the only volcano expert in the world, who is Martin, the <laughs> volcano-obsessed kid from Dan's class. I like this kid. <laughs> Martin explains that the only way Chinese volcanic ash could get to northern Russia would have been from the Millennium Eruption, which he goes on to explain. The Changbai volcano on the border of China and Korea erupted in 946 AD with the force of over a thousand nuclear bombs. It blew ash over half the world and... Today, you can still find that ash buried in ice. Mm -hmm. um, this is both underselling the amount of ash while also over-exaggerating the spread of the actual event. In reality, um, volca volcanologists use the ash as a dating metric, and the coverage went as far as Japan, mm -hmm. which is a bit closer to China and Korea than northern Russia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The same hemisphere. <laughs> well, also, dispersion of that goes east-west, not north-south. 
because of the way the jet streams work. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So it takes a, it would take a long time and a lot of ash to go that far north. Yeah. And nowhere else. Like, it yeah. would have made sense if they would have emerged in, say, what was Mongolia or something like that. Yeah, it's closer to the northern border. Or right. But that's not frozen. No. I know. So Dan then asks if there's a way to pinpoint where exactly in Russia that ash would have fallen. Isn't he supposed to be the science man? <laughs> Martin, who suddenly feels like hot shit, calls for a laptop and just pulls up a picture of the Academy of Sciences glacier that had this ash found in it. Dan and Charlie then become the very first humans in both the present and future to realize that the plot of the thing happened. <laughs> and that maybe, just maybe, these things have been frozen under the ice. <laughs> Dan finally approaches the Department of Defense Secretary, William Dodd, played by David Maldonado, to ask if he can pretty please go to Russia and save the world. <laughs> The worldwide cooperation the movie was so proud of in the beginning has collapsed overnight, and now everybody hates everybody else, and he <laughs> refuses to use taxpayer money to buy Dan a plane ticket. You know what? That's pr That entire scenario, probably the most uh -huh. believable thing in this movie. Uh-huh. Yep. It would seem that the only way to get to Russia now is to know someone who hates the government and also, also has <laughs> access to a plane. Oh, wait, an idea! <laughs> it would help if they were also really ripped and had a big bushy beard. I know this buff man that could get us to Russia. And we could get there faster if he flew a plane. <laughs> He's so, so flapping those big old alarms. Because he could get us there. Yep. Dan gets his dad to agree to the mission pretty easily. Uh, the future people did as future Mary had instructed and mass-produced enough of the toxin to maybe, maybe, hopefully, wipe out the aliens before they can thaw. Then this team of eight people is sets out to be the very first to detect anything unusual on the largest glacier in Russia. So I guess it's a good thing they have 30 years. <laughs> also, where did they get those snowmobiles? Just took them. Because <laughs> they all are riding snowmobiles. I don't... <laughs> where did they, get they, they weren't on... Well, how... Because it it's been a while since I've watched it, okay? Sure. How big was that plane they were on? I mean, it was big. Yeah, it was... Too, it... too big to get into Russia undetected. Yeah, because it was, it, was, it was like a four-prop C-130. Something like that. They might have just had them on there. <laughs> I don't know. Or or some... I would... Uh, they they must have. Or some Russians are now missing some snowmobiles. Yeah. They just stole them from a... Uh... A settlement in Siberia and yeah. just drove out there. No people who actually rely on those machines yeah. to live. Yeah. Well, this is for the betterment of future kind. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I understand. I know how time works. Yeah. They jet around in a V formation for a while and find what they're looking for before the day is out. <laughs> it's required in the V formation. Uh huh. It's the only search pattern, uh, effective search pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, they Same reason up... birds do it. <laughs> they're yep. looking for aliens. <laughs> yep. <laughs> geese are looking for aliens every time they fly around yeah that's the that's the secret the government doesn't want you to know yeah everyone thinks the conspiracy about birds is that birds aren't real no it's that birds are looking for aliens oh my god i found out that that was a thing uh -huh. this week oh yeah. my god but no i i firmly believe that geese are looking for aliens yes yeah. <laughs> uh they set up charges and blow up the ice revealing a crevasse that leads to a frozen cavern system after following the cave for a bit, they come across the frozen alien ship. Dan then suggests that they take pictures and return with proof so that the world governments can deal with it. 
though everybody agrees that the UN and governments would likely just argue about what to do for 30 years, which almost sounds insane. And then I remember that we live in the real world, and that's probably the truest thing in this movie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the team cuts a hole in the ship and heads inside while James and Charlie are left out as a last line of defense in case something tries to escape. Surely these two people will be able to stop everything that comes out. Yep. One of them, who still does not know how to handle a weapon. Yep. Inside, they find this movie's version of a space jockey and deduce that the ship crashed rather than landed willingly. They also discover that the white spikes in stasis um, are, are technically their cargo and speculate that they were likely used as weapons. As genocidal weapons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, okay, this, this ship crashed in prehistoric times and... None of this cre this alien civilization ever sent out a search party to look for it or anything. They just left it there. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, that's fine. Okay. What, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I don't find that. I don't get hung up on that at all. Okay, personally. <laughs> I mean, there there are all kinds of explanations you can go for that, but yep. I I agree. It must have. Maybe it was just wasn't that important. Oh, no. Oh, no. We lost a ship with our Maybe weapon the... of mass destruction. Yeah. It'll work itself out. Who right. <laughs> who says it's their only one? Yeah. Plus, the driver of that ship is probably on his commander's shit list for doing something. <laughs> so just leave him. <laughs> I think that's the, that's the cannon I'm going to go okay, with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Commander Zarbax here was fucking his high officer's wife. <laughs> 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 so his commanding officer is just like alright take these incredibly dangerous yeah. species over there make sure they don't wake up Yeah, yep. and they yep. only gave them half as much fuel as they need <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna crash this fucker on this backwater planet full of giant lizards uh, now that's a movie I'd watch uh huh inside um the team then injects the toxin into several hibernating spikes, and those spikes dissolve. Mm -hmm. um, more spikes begin to wake up immediately, and Dan rushes to administer more of the toxin, but they break out and, and uh, rush out of the, of the ship. Uh -huh. The team then starts to set up explosives, and Dorian says that they need to detonate it manually for some reason. Uh, didn't he give an explanation on that? Something with a switch? Maybe. I I, if he did, I missed it okay. in both my viewings. It, it, it was probably a throwaway line again. Probably. Um, he gives Dan the claw from around his neck as a souvenir. Oh, Jesus, he's dead. <laughs> well, yeah. he, he only had six months to live. Yeah. He wants to die on his terms. <laughs> Fighting aliens. Fighting, yeah. Exploding uh -huh. himself in an alien spaceship. Yeah. Well, outside, Charlie still doesn't know how to use a gun, so he just ice saws one to death. Yeah. Um, inside, Lieutenant Hart is surprised to find that there seems to be an entire colony on the ship. I don't know why she's surprised about this. Yeah, I mean, they would have had to have, like, <clears throat> several females at least, plus yeah. a, a few males to, to propagate the species, mm -hmm. if these things were indeed used as a weapon, in which case they are a bad weapon. Like, <laughs> the... <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's implied, it's implied that the these things breed and grow very, very, very rapidly. Right. We don't see that. We have no idea no. how fast any of that happens. But it is implied that if one of them gets out, then it's like an infection. It's like a virus. Yeah. Um, but I don't know why she's surprised. She, like, walks in. She's like, oh, my God, there's a whole colony in here. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
that's what you came here to kill. Yeah, <laughs> what, what, where did you think they came from? Like, <laughs> Dorian blows up the ship, along with all of the future people. I don't know, like, that was kind of fucked up. <laughs> like, let's, let's be real. Dorian had a death wish, wanted to die before the cancer took him. The rest of them... Well, they knew they had to go out they, before I, they were born. I guess so. <laughs> and they, they were like, okay, well, I guess this is how it's happening. Yep. Um, but uh, Dan, Charlie, and James make it out. James informs Dan that one escaped, and based on the description, it sounds like it was the female. Mm -hmm. uh, James and Dan give chase and fight her in the snow and ice. During the fight, they end up blinding her, and Dan injects the toxin into her arm, but she simply bites the limb off before it can dissolve her, so she's kind of hardcore. Uh, Dan is pushed to the edge of a steep drop and is trying to lure her over the edge. In an effort to sacrifice himself, though, James cuts his hand open so that she can smell the blood and trick her into attacking him off the cliff. While she charges at Dan, or excuse me, while she charges at James, Dan suddenly rockets onto her from off screen and slits her throat with the claw, shoves a canister of the toxin down her throat, and while her face melts, he screams at her to die and kicks her off the ledge where she splatters on the rocks below. <laughs> yep. James calls him out on his stupid one-liner. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then Charlie is there. Yeah, they're just like plopped down in the snow, like resting after the victory. And then suddenly Charlie just plops down next to him. He's like, hey guys, I'm here too. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't forget about me. I lived. Yep. <laughs> Sometime later, news breaks out of what happened. Uh, Dodd takes credit, so the, the Secretary of Defense takes credit, and then Dan arrives home with his dad to meet with Miri, um, and Emmy stupidly asks if they found them. <laughs> he just points the TV and <laughs> glares at her. <laughs> Dan monologues about how his seven days with the future Miri changed him forever, and they all lived happily ever after the end. Um, evidently a sequel is planned. Oh, great. Um, and the idea of a spinoff centered on Charlie has been kicked around. Why? <laughs> well, okay, I want that to be good. <laughs> it's not going to be. I know it's not, but because it would be it, really cool. The, the sequel planned is has the same writing and directing staff. Like, what would the, a sequel even be? Like, I have no oh, idea. Oh, we didn't kill them all, here's more. <laughs> that, that's the only thing I can think of. We, nope. We did kill them all, but now the aliens actually came back. Oh, now we've yeah. got a problem. Oh, maybe that. Or, that is or it's an alternate future, and they have to go yeah. fight a different war. <laughs> <laughs> so, something along those lines. But yeah, the, the aliens yeah, coming back is my is my safe bet. It could be. So are you are you saying that aliens invading is a nexus point of this reality? Yeah. <laughs> it yep. doesn't. It's not necessarily which aliens, but aliens will invade. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yep. Aliens is the cop dying in this universe. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. Um, that was the Tomorrow War. Like I said, I had a blast with this one. I, ha I, mean, I had much more fun talking about it than I did watching it because uh -huh. I had a fucking miserable time watching this movie. The, one of the problems is it is a long movie. It, it's two hours and 18 minutes. Uh -huh. That's a long fucking sit for any movie. And for one that just kind of drags as much as this one does, because there are a lot of scenes where other things just drag at its heels. Mostly the scenes to me with Future Mary and uh, right. Dan. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. And especially, like, from the word go, you're just, I, I wasn't with this movie. <laughs> like, I was just like, this is a dumb premise. I fucking hate this. I am ready to be done with this. I'm mad at Matt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
soured your milk early. No, no yeah. turning that one back. Yeah. No. But at the same time, like I said, I honestly I feel the same way a lot about about like movies like Jupiter Ascending, where they are like Jupiter Ascending is a lot more fun to watch. Uh huh. But it is also still way more fun to talk about. Oh yeah, and if well, if you can watch a movie like that in a group, it's great. Uh huh. What like sitting in my room watching this thing by myself was miserable. No, no, I, I, I get that. I, I agree. I can see that. But um. Any other final thoughts on The Tomorrow War? No. I'm <laughs> glad we finally talked about it since I watched it three weeks ago and now I can forget about it. Yeah. Well, it's just kind of like watching it, getting to the end of talking about it, there is a definite feeling of relief. <laughs> <laughs> There's a carthus yeah, after this movie. Yeah, there is. There really is. Um, well, then, let's uh, let's move on to the crunch, shall we? Okay. Cause it's gonna be the future soon I won't always be this way When the things that make me weak and strange Get engineered away It's gonna be the future soon Never seen it quite so clear When my heart is breaking I can close my eyes It's already here uh, So welcome back to uh, Crunch Crunch We're doing a crunch yeah. Crunching up a white spike in what I call the Xenocide Soldier. All right. So. Another one for the Xenos. Yep. Stuff. Yep. The Xenoverse, as I, it were. I almost called it a, um, I almost went with the otherworldly, uh-huh. but I decided to just do this one. That's my, my word. You can't take that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it if I want, Chris. <laughs> no, you can't. I'll I, think I've, I think I've done it once. Oh, you Fucker. Get out of here. Okay. <laughs> I no, guess wait. I'm done. No, wait. The, the podcast witch is I released. You <laughs> just evaporate away. <laughs> just dissolve into nothing. It's a fuck. <laughs> it was their unfinished business, apparently. <laughs> Mr. Matt, I suddenly feel really, really good. <laughs> but uh, the Xenocide Soldier is a large aberration unaligned. It's got a natural armor of 18, which is a little higher than uh, the challenge rating 8, which is what I have this thing at. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little higher than a challenge rating 8 should have, um, because these things, like, there's a point in the movie that they are hard to kill. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I did decrease its hit points a little bit. Okay. According to that. Okay, it's kind of weird. Like, it actually, it has 172 average hit points, which is actually in line, but there's other math that went on just just know that i i think it balances out okay whatever man um these things are very very fast in the movie mm -hmm. so i gave them a speed of 50 feet and a Oof, climb speed oof. of 30 feet yeah i i would agree with that mm -hmm. uh they're very very strong we see one slam into a humvee and knock it clean off its wheels yeah. so i gave them a strength of 22 which is honestly probably pulling the reins back a bit uh but that's a plus plus six uh they have pretty high dexterity just because they do they seem pretty nimble, and they shoot those spikes with pretty good accuracy. Oh. So, plus four to dexterity. Uh, plus two to constitution to give them their HP. And I mean, they are pretty hardy. Some of them take a considerable amount of punishment. Uh, they only have a two in intelligence and a two in charisma. Uh, we see them acting very, very savagely and just single-mindedly. Uh, but I gave them a 12 in wisdom as well, since they aren't necessarily stupid. Okay. Uh, proficiencies in strength and dexterity saving throws, skill proficiencies in athletics and acrobatics, gave him damage resistances to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks, and I gave him a damage vulnerability to poison, which is why I increased their health a little bit, because if you give creature vulnerability, it probably needs to have a little bit more health, mm -hmm. uh, but that's the only way I could figure the, to kind of emulate the idea of the toxin, 
and I also think that the damage vulnerabilities, like we've mentioned before, is just an underused thing in D&D 5th edition. Yeah. So. That's fair. Uh, they are immune to being charmed and frightened. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have dark vision out to 60 feet, passive perception of 10, which I don't think is right. Hold on. Passive perception of 11. None, none languages. Okay. Um, and their only trait I just, I gave them, I called it blood sense. Uh, the soldier can detect any creature that does not have its maximum hit points as though the soldier had blindsight out to 300 feet. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Cool. Uh, their actions, I gave them multi-attack. The xenocide soldier makes three attacks, two with its claws and one with its bite. Alternatively, the soldier can fire four piercing spikes or two knockdown spikes. So its claw attacks is plus nine to hit, average of 15 slashing damage. The bite is plus nine to hit with an average of 22 piercing damage. The piercing spike is a ranged attack at 60 feet. Uh, one target doing an average of 14 piercing damage. So it can shoot four of those. Mm-hmm. Or two, the knockdown spikes, which is uh, plus seven to hit 60 feet. 17 damage. Um, and the target must succeed on a DC 16 strength saving throw or be pushed back 10 feet. Okay. Since we see, especially more in the like the, the scene with the lab when people are getting hit with right. spikes, they start flying everywhere. Yeah, even in directions where they shouldn't be able to fly. Correct. But later in the movie, we see a lot of people getting stabbed and not getting knocked on their asses or yeah. 20 feet away. <laughs> Murray and Dan both get spiked at certain points and they don't go flying. So I figured that's a good way of drawing that, that analog here. Okay. And then I gave him the reaction of glide. <laughs> While falling, the Xenocide soldier can use its reaction to begin gliding, allowing it to move forward five feet for each foot it falls and reducing its fall speed to 10 feet per round. If the Xenocide Soldier takes any bludgeoning, force, or thunder damage while gliding, it must succeed on a dexterity saving throw with a DC equal to 10, or half as much damage is taken, whichever is higher, mm-hmm. um, or begin falling and lose its ability to use this reaction until it lands. Okay. So. I have no problem with that. Yeah. it's I've never seen a creature with a reaction or ability to glide in D&D, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I figure if it's gliding and takes damage that'll jostle it, it's probably not going to be gliding much more. Yep. And I think this is that, true. that's kind of an interesting thing. Because again, I think that mixing up, varying the types of damage that players do to enemies is an interesting way of going about it in D&D 5th edition. So uh, so that's my Xenocide Soldier. What do you guys think? Very cool. It is good. Sweet. And and I'm assuming that because of the nature of, of the creature, it's more of a DM preference on how many are going to be thrown at you at a time because they are swarming pack kind of ideas right right um yes for sure like these things to me are either a like you fight one at a lower level mm-hmm. as a big boss or a big challenge uh-huh. or you fight a bunch as an end game threat yeah yeah it would it would, it would have to be because they have they do have that high challenge rating because mm-hmm. in the movie like one They're of tough. them is one is dangerous one mm-hmm. is incredibly dangerous yep. and tough um and yeah, we do see them swarming in the movie. So it, it was kind of hard to nail down that, that challenge rating. Yeah. But I definitely decided, especially since we see how tough they are and how menacing just one can be. That no, I think you got it. Yeah, high, so. that's, that's good. Cool, cool. All right. And with that, we're going to wrap up. Um, Chris, yeah. uh, what do we got next time? Uh, next time, we're going to watch Howard the Duck. Okay. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Uh, cool. Well, so with that, um, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you like the podcast, please do tell a friend. If you hated it, share it with an enemy. Um, but if you do like it, 
Some of the best ways you can support it, other than kind of spreading the word, uh, rate us five stars on whatever service you listen to these on, um, just to get our visibility out there. Uh, you can jump onto our Patreon and support us there. Uh, $5 a month will get you the Swamp Heap level, which gives you a year's backlog of all of our Critter Kibbles episodes where we just do tons and tons and tons of extra content of D&D and mostly player option content. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you too now can be a Lumiere from Beauty <laughs> and the Beast. You can just be a Lumiere. Well, that, that's on our main feed. I know it's on our main feed, but it's just an example yeah, of yeah. some of the things you can get access to well well, give me an example of something that's not on our main feed uh you could be a predator who's a ghost rider well that's on the main feed too because it's more than a year old okay um you could fight a million dinosaurs (laughs) just find a million dinosaurs and their best friends millions of lizards yeah yeah (laughs) um yeah we got all kinds of stuff um but if you can't or don't want to swing that five dollars a month we do have the fur buddy level just one buck a month using it as a tip jar Mm -hmm. for the time being um, but we do greatly appreciate that as well, uh, if you would consider that. Um, and thank you, Mike, for joining us. I think it was a lot of fun. And Absolutely. <laughs> I hope you had fun. <laughs> it is interesting. <laughs> it is very interesting. Um, Chris and I have kind of gone the way of promoting our individual selves on the internet. Yeah. Um, do you have anything that you want to put forth to promote, pitch, plug, no whatever no not at this time okay yeah. thank you're, you you're not much of an in, you're not much of a social media person so but no. i figured it would be rude not to offer i i appreciate that thank you um and with that uh we will see you in two weeks <laughs> <laughs>